Then Caleb silenced the people. So here's some of the spies. There were 12 spies, and 10 of them are saying, they're huge. Yes, the land is good and great, but they're huge, and we can't take it. And Caleb stood up and silenced them and says, we should go now and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. So here's this congregational meeting. You've got 10 of 12 of the leaders saying, we can't do it. And Caleb stands up and says, let's go. I like his heart. But the men who had gone up with him, so this is, a, this is equal, equality people in there. These are other leaders. They said, we can't attack them. They are stronger than us. And they spread a bad report among the people. The land we explored devours those living in it. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. In our perspective, we were small. And we looked the same to them. And that night, the members of the community raised their voices, wept aloud, and they grumbled and said, If only we had died in Egypt. Or in this wilderness, why did the Lord bring us here only to let us fall by the sword, only to let our wives and children be taken as plunder? Wouldn't it be better if we go back to Egypt? So they rebelled against God. They said we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell face down and said, uh, the land has passed through, is explored, is good. If the, God, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole congregation talked about killing them. So there was a split within the leadership. And the bad report was spread. And those that were talking about, this is what God wants us to do. The others said, no, we're going to kill you. Then God steps into the scene. The glory of the Lord appeared, and he said, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed for them among the way. So to put this into context, God brought them out of Egypt. He performed ten plagues to show to the people, to the Egyptians, that these are my people. Let them go. And he brought them out. This is the same group of people who a year before had crossed the Red Sea. He had parted the water. And God had led them on dry land across this river bottom, this sea bottom. And then when the Egyptians came to get him, God brought the waters back and wiped out the entire Egyptian military might. God had done all that stuff. And now, a year later... These people are saying, if only we had stayed in Egypt. And God finally has had it. He says, I will strike them down. To put it in the modern vernacular, God said, Moses, step aside. I'm going to nuke them. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to disinherit them. And I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. Now, Moses was the leader of the people, and all of a sudden, God is saying to Moses, I'm going to honor you greater and stronger than I was honoring Abraham. I'm going to wipe out this rebellious people. Step aside. 
Don't forget, Moses is a man. Moses is concerned about his, his heritage, not his heritage, his, his um, descendants. This is a great thing that God is offering to him. You become the father of the great nation. It's a huge temptation. And Moses simply says, uh-uh, that's not your character. You do this, and the Egyptians will hear about it. Those people that you took out, that you said, these are my people, they're going to hear about the fact that you wiped out your people. It's not your character, God. You have shown that you are slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving. And besides which, if you wipe them out, the people in that land that have heard from the Egyptians and heard about what you did, they're going to look at it and say, Hey, man, God could nuke the Egyptians, but he didn't dare come and touch us. He wiped out his own people because he knew he couldn't bring his people into our land. So Moses plays on God's understanding of justice and says, Look, you wipe out these people, it's your reputation that suffers. God intercedes, or sorry, Moses intercedes and God relents. And the punishment, instead of it being annihilation, is this. I lost my place. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but have disobeyed me and tested me ten times in the last year, not one of them will ever see the land I promised. There's a verse in the New Testament that says, um, God forgives their sins, but they have to bear the consequences of the sins. Sometimes we sin in a way that has consequences. And this is one of those times. God says, they rebelled against me. I will not kill them right now, but they're going to wander for 40 years. One year for every day that they checked out the land, they spied out the land. When Moses reported this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. And early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, all right, we've sinned. Now we're going to do what God's promised. We're going to go into the land. So now they're set to go and follow the command of God. And Moses says, why? God has said he's going to make you wander. So why are you now trying to go into the promised land? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up. But neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord moved from the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites and all who dwelled in the land in that hill country came down and attacked them and defeated them. The people attempted to take the land and they lost. How do we survive when these worlds collide? The number one point is to know your God. It is to know your calling. To know your community and to know yourself. There's a key word through all of these points, and that is the verb to know. It is different than to know about. It's not simply an intellectual collection of information that you have processed in your memory. That's to know about something. To know about God. To know about 
your calling, to know about people. This talks about to experience that person. There's a number of you that are golfers, and someone could study golf, learn all about the ways to make putts, the ways to hit drives, what club to use at what length. They could know all that information. But unless they've walked the course, unless they've made mistakes, unless they've learned how to put into practice all the theory that they know intellectually, they don't know how to golf. It's the same when we talk to people. As we get to know people, you know about someone, but getting to know them, experience, sharing your life with them, that takes time. It takes vulnerability. It takes risk. To know God allows us to experience His character. We have spent time in His Word, hearing about who He is. Studying His Word, praying, is a good and important thing to do because we learn about God that way, but then we have to take that that we learned about and let it become part of our lives, let it become part of our experience. We start to understand His character, His faithfulness, we start to look out for his reputation when we see other people slander him. It starts to hurt when people take his name in vain. When we know God, it enables us to walk with confidence because he's faithful. Most of you know that I have my own business and, and I have talked before about the changes in income from Calgary where we used to live to where we moved out here. And it's hard. When you see your income drop 75%, it's hard. The years that I've walked with God in Calgary, and I'm talking not just walking personally with Him, but walking experientially with Him as far as the business. He has constantly provided for us. This past month, I have billed 10 hours. 10 hours billable. I can't live on that. But I stand here and I say that I can walk in confidence that God is faithful. I don't know how he will prove that faithfulness to me. But I will testify to you that God is faithful even when all I bill is 10 hours. You have your own experience with him. By knowing God, you get to walk confidently that he's faithful. Moses had spent time with God. You see, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life in Egypt, and then the next 40 years of his life in Midian, not a Jewish place. The God of Midian was not the God of the Jews. His father-in-law was a priest of Midian. He was not raised or, or spent those 40 years as a shepherd. He was not bathed in the God of the Jews. And then he met the God of the Jews in a fiery bush. And he made the choice when the God of the Jews in that fiery bush said, I want you to go and set my people free. And Moses could have said, I I'm out of here, man. I don't know you. I haven't seen you for the last 80 years. I'm gone. But instead he said, I'm going to get to know you. Obviously this fiery bush is telling me about you. You've got lots of power, and you are holy. And so I'm going to take a step of faith and start walking towards Egypt. 
knowing full well that in Egypt he faced death. When he was there, his job was to confront Moses with demands to give up a major source of income. It's kind of like going to Alberta and saying, shut off the oil. Yeah, I don't want to be the one to do that. He goes to call down punishment on the Egyptians. Ten times he goes to Pharaoh and said, let my people go or bad stuff's going to happen. Every time he went there, he faced the risk of being killed. Step after step after step, he's learning to walk with God. And then, after he was, after they came out of Egypt, he spent a year at Mount Sinai, face to face with God, getting the Ten Commandments, telling the people, helping the people to see that God is their God, and entering into a relationship with them. To know God is to experience his character, that he is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving. Moses had experienced that with the people of Israel over that year from Mount Sinai, where they rebelled against God ten times, and Moses interceded ten times, and God was slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving. So then when they get to Canaan, Moses is able to say, hey, you are not the one to nuke these people. That's not who you are. You are slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving. When we know God's character, we can intercede on behalf of our neighbors. We can intercede on behalf of our friends. We can say, this is the God you are. You are a God who is faithful. You are a God who provides. You are a God who is loving. You are a God who forgives. When you know God's character... You also look at that and you say, it is not my honor that I'm going to take. I'm not going to accept your offer of being the father of a great nation because in doing that, it's going to negatively impact your character and your reputation. And so I turn down what is great for me because I care more about what is better for you. When you know God, you look out for him. Joshua and Caleb had the confidence that God is faithful. And they said, when everybody else was saying, we can't go in there, they said, sure, we can go in right now, because God's with us. To know about God is to understand what God wants. He wants us to go into the promised land. But there are big giants there, we can't see them. We, we can't go in there, we can't see how we can take them out, so we're not going to go there. And then when faced with the fact that you're going to get annihilated by God and you see that your leader has interceded for you and now God has relented but now you're going to be punished you're very much convinced that you know what, we made a mistake and so when you know about God you understand what he wants but you look at how you can accomplish what he wants through your own experiences and your own effort you say, God wants us to go into the promised land we've sinned so let's go into the promised land that's the difference between people who know God and know about God. To know your calling. A calling is a desire or vision. What is it you have? It takes time to craft and develop the skills and experience to, to bring that calling into fruition. Dan, how long have you practiced guitar? 47 years. 
Dan can play a lot better than I can. He has the same kind of desire that I have to play guitar. He's practiced 47 years. I've been practicing eight years. There's a huge difference. It takes time and experience to develop that and to craft that skill. The people of Israel had one calling to enter the promised land. They needed to take the time to scout out the land, to see what's all about there. They needed to trust the past experiences that God had developed over the previous year, that he would aid them in their calling. People who know God and their calling move forward. Because they know that God sees, or they see obstacles as being opportunities for God to work. People that know about God see obstacles as roadblocks. And their calling is fulfilled by their own effort. To know your community. A community is the brand of the church. It's common unity. But unity is not uniformity. So, after this event at Canaan, the people of Israel then wandered for 40 years. There were two scouts, along with Moses and Aaron, who had said, God wants us to go in. They were right. The other ten were wrong. The community had been divided, and God had shown which one was right or wrong. Human nature, maybe not human nature, my nature would be like, I'd be the one going along if I was Caleb and be saying, don't you guys, don't you guys forget, we've got to walk 40 years because you screwed up. I had it right. I'm someone important. I hear from God. But to know your community... is to know that unity is not uniformity. I can be unified with people, but I don't have to be in agreement. God never calls lone rangers. He calls us to work within community. Understand this when I say this. Jesus could not have accomplished his calling if it weren't for community. Now, Jesus was God. He was called to come and die as a sacrifice to save us. But it was more than just his death and resurrection that was his calling. His calling was to bring together a bride. He could not have done that without the disciples to bear testimony of his message and to carry his message to the world. Community takes time, trust, commitment, grace, forgiveness. Moses interceded for his people, even as God was ready to wipe them out. Caleb worked and wandered without notoriety for 40 years. We hear of Caleb first in this story, Numbers 13. That's the first time we hear of him. In two chapters. The next time we hear of him, he's mentioned in Deuteronomy. And then the last time we hear of him in Joshua. Four times we hear of Caleb. Joshua was a peer to Caleb. Joshua was not the guy who stood up and silenced the people. Caleb was the guy who stood up and silenced the people. Yet Joshua became the leader. Caleb served and walked with his community in obscurity for 40 years. Those who know about community, they see things through their own eyes. They divide over disagreements. They seek to discard, abandon, or kill, or eradicate disagreement. The people of Israel that knew about God looked at it and said, we can't go in there because our kids and our wives are going to be taken captive. 
And so they were wanting to kill the ones that were saying, we can go in there because God's with us. The fourth principle is to know yourself, to have an accurate understanding of who you are in Christ. This is not to go around and say, I know myself and so I'm going to become a braggart and say, I can do all these things. But it's also not to come along and say, I am just terrible. I am, you know, a failure. The past week, Monday, Tuesday, and a bit of Wednesday, I wrestled with this. I came after last week, out of last week's sermon, last week's not sermon, last week's uh, service. It was a great service. I was pumped. I was excited. And by Sunday evening, I was depressed. I was thinking I was a failure. I was thinking I had messed up. I was discouraged. And I wrestled with that for almost three days. And what got me to break out of it was the music practice Wednesday. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I can't, I can't play the bass. Judd is so much better. Dan is so much better. Why am I coming? But I knew that if I came, Dan was going to encourage me. I think our nickname for Dan ought to be Barnabas. <laughs> Son of encouragement. <laughs> yeah. I was feeling really down. And I knew by simply coming and practicing to play bass that I was going to have encouragement from Dan and that was going to start to lift me up. Knowing your community, I was going to get encouragement, allowed me to come and confront the inaccurate understanding of who I was. I knew that I wasn't a failure. I also know I'm not super and great and spectacular at everything I try to do. I knew where I am, an accurate understanding of who I am in Christ. But I also knew that I needed community to help lift me out of the doldrums that I was in. To know yourself means you come with humility, but you also come with confidence. I had a friend of mine who talked about the difference between arrogance and confidence. Arrogance is claiming that you can do something, even if you can't. Confidence is knowing what you can do and stepping up to the plate to do it. Caleb's confidence is seen in Joshua 14. This is now fast-tracked 45 years later, and it's 45 years because they wandered for 40 years, and then they spent five years going into the lowlands of the new land. So the Jericho, the AI, all of those stories, that's when they've come in, and now they're dividing up the land. And Caleb comes to Joshua and says, Here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. He's 85. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you are young compared to that. One, or maybe more, are a little bit older than 85. But here's an 85-year-old guy who's coming and saying, I am as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself know 
The giants are there. Their cities are large and fortified. Here's a guy who knows himself. With humility, he says, I am still as strong. I'm 85, but I'm still as strong. I've spent the 40 years building a community and training and discipling the next generation for this moment. Now give me the hill country. Give me the toughest job to do. Why? Because the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Caleb's confidence hasn't changed from 45 years earlier when he said at that congregational meeting, we can do it! Wanders for 45 years. And now he comes and says, with God, I can do it, even though I'm 85 years old. I will take my family, I will take my tribe, I'll take all those young bucks that I've been training for the past 40 years, and we're going to nuke those giants, because God's with us. When you know yourself, you have humility balanced with confidence. Those that know about themselves, look to the past, look to the glory days, look to themselves. It's throwback to the Canaan border story where the people of Israel said if only we could stay in Egypt. We were alive there. We weren't threatened. Yeah, we were slaves, but those were the glory days back when we had food, back when we weren't facing death. And then they look to themselves and say, you know what? God's promise is for us to take the promised land, so we'll go and do it ourselves. There's a contrast there. Those who know themselves walk with humility. Those who know about themselves live in the past. How do we survive when worlds collide? 1 Peter 2 gives a summary of this. We know our community. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We know ourselves. Verses 9 and 10 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special provision. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. We know our calling. Verses 10 and 12 says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, there was a lot of that happening lately, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And we know our God. Verses 21 and 23 says, God suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. We need to know who is our God so that we can fully know our calling, our community, and ourselves. When our worlds collide, 
We need to look at Hebrews where it says, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. When we know our God, when we know our calling, when we know our community, when we know ourselves, when the worlds collide, we can sing this chorus. This is from a Robin Mark song. All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands.